Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. And this morning we're going to be in Revelation 6. Revelation 6. And the last time the message was titled, Who is Worthy? And we found that we were in Revelation 5. You know, we're introduced to a situation where the portal in heaven, I like the word portal better than door, because doors, we think of wooden doors, it opens up and uh, the Apostle John is in the spirit and he sees things that are happening in God's throne room. Very powerful and this clarion call goes out throughout the whole earth. And the question is, who is worthy? You know, believe that it's the father sitting on the throne holding the scroll with all the seals on it. Who is worthy? Uh, and that clarion call goes through the earth to the angels. And John starts to weep because nobody's worthy. But then he sees the lamb. He sees the Lord Jesus and he takes the scroll. And that's what we're going to get in today. Today, the title is five horsemen of the apocalypse with a question mark. <laughs> so I'm going to present the case to you that there were five horses and not four. So if you have a painting at home with the four horses, get out your paints and your easel and just draw in another horse with another rider and you'll be biblically accurate. You'll be fine. So uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, but this is, a, this is a situation that occurs right? As the Lord takes the seal or the, the scroll and he's opening the seals. This is in our near future. This hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm not a date setter, so I'm not going to say when it's happening. That's the Lord knows that he didn't give me any inside information. And basically the Holy Spirit via the church or through the church largely, right? Is the church is removed in the harpazo or what we know as the rapture. And this is a time where that, there's a power vacuum and there's ensuing chaos that takes place on the earth. And these horsemen and the horses are a representation of the things that are going to take place. Again, in the earth's near future, I believe the church won't be here. So uh, it's very powerful. And I'm just going to answer a question because I get all these questions as a pastor. You know, why would a loving God allow this to happen on the earth? The answer is, we live in a culture where everybody wants everything. Okay, not everybody, but most people. It's a very selfish culture, and I want X, Y, and Z, and then I want A, B, and C along with it, even though they don't go together. So what happens is, a loving God wants Jesus to bring peace on earth to all of humanity, Luke chapter 2. But the earth, and we're seeing it today, has been largely has largely pushed Jesus Christ out of everything. The public schools, colleges, they're hostile towards Christianity, not really knowing or understanding what Christianity is about. We see it in our governmental structure. We see it in the news media. Um, anything that's a true representation of Jesus Christ is, is not interested. The earth, okay, and, and I used to say antichrist, antichrist for years, but understand this. We have to make these connections in our brains is the fact that there is a charismatic globalist who's going to rise and he's going to claim to serve, uh, to fix all the earth's problems. He's the Antichrist. When I start talking about globalism, and I'm going to make this case over the months and we go into Revelation, we're going to see the connection that we might not have seen before. I'm going to talk to you about what the world and the global movement stands for. They're very hostile towards Christianity. Um, and the desire for the earth is that a man or a woman rises, a secular humanist that solves the earth's problems without Christ. So how could a loving God? He just gave us free will. When the earth finally says, you know, we're done with Christianity completely, you know, I believe that these things will transpire. So it's, it's quite fascinating as we go through even, I didn't, I'm not even covering the whole chapter. I mean, that's just how amazing this is. But we're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in, verse 1, it says, Now I saw when the Lamb, Jesus, opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, 
and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery or flame red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it, or the rider, to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he, he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Pretty cool, huh? What happened to my horses? Okay, so we're going to jump into this and take it piece by piece. And uh, the first one is the white horse, right? At quick glance, some believe this is Jesus. There are some nuances in Scripture when you see comparisons that you have to understand what the nuances are. This is not Jesus, okay? But he's supposed to look like Jesus. Remember, antichrist, anti can mean in place of. So when this false Christ comes, he will act as a Messiah. That many of the world, people bow down to people today, celebrities and stuff, sports figures. I not, would not be surprised if much of the world bows down to this man because what he's saying are things that the world wants to hear. And there's like this false, there's this peace. People are like, no more war, how exciting. But it's a trap. So when you look at this, he is not Jesus. Remember, Satan inspires the Antichrist, and he's a counterfeit. So let's look at the similarities and the differences. When we compare Revelation 19, where Jesus does return to the earth in the second coming, both of them are riding white horses. In Revelation 19, Jesus is riding a white horse. This, this figure in Revelation 6 is riding a white horse. However, Jesus has a sword and the Antichrist has a bow with no arrows. Both of them wear crowns. In Revelation 19, Jesus has a crown. The Antichrist has a crown. But here's the difference. Jesus' crown is diadema in the Greek which, where we get the word diadem from, is a, a king's crown, a sovereign, a potentate's crown. The Antichrist has a Stephanos. It's a crown, but it's a very different crown. It's a lesser crown. So we have to look for those nuances in the scripture. This Antichrist will make peace treaties. He will provide a false peace on the face of the earth. And a lot of people will exhale and go... Oh, wow, it's so nice to live in a... Wow, this guy is just so amazing. I mean, he's, he's a messiah. People are calling each other messiahs on the earth now. There's some false teachers in pulpits asking you to call them mini-messiahs or messiahs. So it's, it's happening. Jesus talks about this. However, especially with Israel, he will break this peace treaty uh, when he's mustered up his forces to attack them strategically. He will bring them in a false sense of peace or security. First Thessalonians 5.3 says, When they say peace and safety, then suddenly or sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So why the parallel? Because when you're, you know, I don't know this from firsthand experience, but I know through my wife and other women that I know that when they're ready to give birth, you can't stop it. You can't go backwards and say, no, I don't want to do this. It's happening. Right. So Jesus makes that comparison and saying that this and that's a good reason a baby's born. But in this situation, um, there will be something that will take place that will turn the earth into a, a worldwide conflagration. Now, I've taught this 12 years ago. Um, a lot of things have changed in 12 years. We can see things lining up and there's so much tension in the superpowers today, you know, um, that back then. Nobody really wanted to be into a big conflagration, but now there's a lot of tensions, okay? Um, and there's rogue nations that have nuclear weapons and trying to keep them under control. And it's, we're getting, this is like the labor pains, you know? With frequency and intensity, they keep coming. 
and there's smaller spaces in between those contractions. This global, globalist movement that we're experiencing even in our country is laying the foundation for this Antichrist to rise. Remember, he's a globalist. He, he unites the world or a good part of the world and then throws everything into war and chaos. Um, you see the globalist movement taking over everything in our country. I'm going to go into detail in the next few months. They've infiltrated good causes. And I'm going to talk to you about these figures. They have names, and they're pumping dark money into these organizations that are causing instability in our country. They want there to be instability. They want to be a, ra a racial divide. They use a, a situation that's people are honorably protesting a tragedy with George Floyd, and they're putting, they're sending their dark money into other forces under the cloak of the protest to cause anarchy and destruction because the United States, in their eyes, has to be remade into a globalist utopia. Like I said, if I would have taught this 10, 12 years ago, people would have said, you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. Now, when I start providing you the proof from this pulpit, you'll see. They're, listen to... Listen to um, uh, Bill Gates, listen to Mike Bloomberg, George Soros, listen to Jeff Bezos, all of these billionaires, and listen carefully to what they say. I'm going to provide their own words. You, you know, something about when you become a billionaire, you think you become God, and you should tell everybody else what to do when you need to control the population. So I'm just going to use their own words, no problem. We'll see that in the next coming months. This has infected sports sadly enough, uh, the media, politics, uh, health. This is a tsunami that uses uh, Marxism to divide us. Again, some Christians are buying this stuff because they watch too much television and they're not in their Bibles enough. So is it a good thing to join in with other nations and solve problems? Absolutely. But this movement is going to be the foundation that this globalist, charismatic, antichrist globalist comes to use it to make his platform on and to do his evil through. There's a lot of control that's involved in this. You have to understand that. The globalist fingerprints are all over our culture, but not everybody can see it. I think it's becoming more evident, though. The white horse, Matthew 24, 4 through 5, Jesus speaks about the rise of the false teachers the rise of the false messiahs. And the culmination is this white horse, this guy. I don't want to pick on the horse. It's the guy on the horse, you know what I'm saying? So he is the culmination of the false Christ. He's the last false Christ. He's the epitome. You know, you, you've seen, I've seen cult leaders sway people. I've seen orators. They're going to not be able to hold a candle to this guy. That's how powerful he's going to be in his oration. His lies are going to be very carefully instituted so he doesn't get caught in those lies. Remember, he has Satan inspiring him. Now, this can be really a downer this morning. So I've put in a few applications about countering this, right? And this is the problem that people get into, especially Christians. They think, they look on TV, they see what's going on and say, what can I do? Or they look at the pastors or somebody with a title and say, I could not do that. And, and that's wrong thinking. It's because what happens is collectively the people, right, Christians, millions of them, if they're all doing something small, the aggregate, the aggregate uh, thing that they're doing is incredible. If every Christian was praying for their nation, if every Christian was praying for their neighbors to get saved, if every Christian was praying for an open door, we can, can listen, this stuff is going to happen, but what's important? That when we die and we go to heaven, the Lord says, well done, thy faithful, uh, you know, thy good and, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the joy of the Lord. Enjoy, right? Our Father has a great smile on his face because, but, but Lord, I did a bunch of little things. Yeah, but those are the little things. Watch, you know, one person that you talk to could have, it's like a virus, but in a good way, right? It spreads, that one person you talk to, you might not know that person has influence in their community and they've affected a hundred people and it was because of you doing that small thing. So that's where the counteraction comes from, right? When we, and I do this too, when we think of, I got to do something big, you never do it. You never do it. So this is important. Sharing our faith, the love of Christ, you know, being 
changed by Christ and then having that effect on others. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify, set apart the Lord God in our hearts. Right? Don't mix them in with the news and all the junk that we're seeing. There's got to be a special place in our hearts for the Lord God. Always be ready to give a defense or an explanation. Well, why do you believe in Jesus? To everyone who asks you a reason for that hope with meekness and fear. And it doesn't mean you have to be a theologian. But it does mean you have to know simple tenets of why you believe what you believe. Why did you give your life to Jesus Christ? Right? All of these hopeful things in a very hopeless world. So there's a lot going on here. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard uh, the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it, sat on the horse, the rider, to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So two out of four is the fiery red horse. The horse of war has three tasks, and I'm going to go into them. He is fiery red. He looks like flames. The same Greek word for the the lake of flames or the lake of fire is used, right, for this horse. When you see him, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe he, as you see the horse riding, you see like flames. I don't know, but I don't necessarily want to see him, you know what I'm saying? As long as I'm in heaven watching, it's cool, but... It's not something that... And and how does this take place? Do people actually see these horses as they're coming to the earth and these riders? And then, boom, these things happen. I don't know. But I don't want to stick around to find out either. So, A, he takes or he seizes peace. He seizes it. And this is another reason the church is raptured. Because the Holy Spirit through the church today, even in war-torn areas, right, brings peace brings peace. Christians do this all over the world. Missionaries do this. Uh, Benevolent, wealthy Christians who give to organizations to build hospitals and schools in certain areas, to rebuild war-torn areas. Um, That's our job through Jesus Christ through us. Luke 2.14, the angels heralded Jesus as the one that would bring peace on the earth, goodwill towards humanity. Now, you might say, well, I look at the news every night. I don't see a lot of peace. But you're also not looking at the world. The media crews, if they showed, oh, isn't this nice? Look what's happening. It's a sick thing about human nature is that we, as a society, seem to crave bad news. And it keeps us glued to the TV. And then there's more bad news. And, then there's, and you almost become, you become you, not almost, you become, studies have done psychologically affected by it. But it's good for ratings. So that's why they do it. However, to bring peace on the earth to humanity is a choice. It's a choice by the believer, but it's also a choice by the ones either receiving or rejecting Jesus Christ. So again, like I said, the world has free will. Now we don't want Jesus. Okay, no problem. No peace. Try to get it through uh, humanistic ways. Uh, We've seen these social experiments for decades And, you know, even if not centuries, and we can't do what God can do, right? We're going to see the peace in the millennial kingdom and the remaking of the heaven and earth. Unfortunately, the earth has to go through a really hard time first. And we've been talking about that in prior sermons. Remember, when the Holy Spirit working through believers at the church is raptured and taken to to heaven, there's a power vacuum. And that's going to be filled by evil and wickedness. And there won't be, like, going back at that point. B, he gave this rider the power for people to kill one another. And again, I just love looking up the the Greek words and the Hebrew. And uh, that word, to kill, means to butcher as an animal. Depraved indifference, mob mentality, mentality, visceral hatred for other people. You ever see that? Somebody seething with hate, with anger, with madness in their eyes so and i gotta tell you it's it's another psychological fact when people get together as groups they don't think as individuals and they tend to do things that are more depraved as groups uh, versus uh, an individual who just came upon a situation 
So these things are going to happen, and we're being desensitized to it. The movie, and, and I don't watch these movies to the end because I think it's just gratuitous violence, but I was curious, and I watched like the, some of the Purge movies. We're being set up for that. It's amazing how Hollywood knows things in advance, and I think there's a spiritual component to that, like in, in a creepy way. Even the NSA and all the, you know, the spying on American, the mega, uh, metadata and stuff, Hollywood had predicted that before the NSA was instituted. How did they know these things? But it always seems like they, the, the worst pictures of society that these movies, they're made, they come to pass in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Eventually, they come to pass. So the new normal. You ever watch the, on TV and, you're, and there's an advertisement and it's from the, the, the media company that brings you the, your shows. And I've been hearing this for four months. It's, it's, and it's a weird voice. Everybody get used to the new normal. Dude, that's creepy, man. And they keep saying it. Like, it's like you can't go back to the society the way it was. You've got to get used to the new normal. And we're going to dictate what the new normal is. Sorry, I just, I'm just not buying it. I'm sorry. Don't I do that? I've heard that so many times. I can, I could, I could be one of those guys doing that weird stuff. But okay, so, so the removal of peace, and um, you know, these are the things that take place. C. He was given a great sword, the power of warfare and destruction, desensitization, no peace, no mercy, just abject carnage. And again, in the absence of the Prince of Peace, it's all going to implode. Well, what's really Jesus and the Holy Spirit doing on this earth? Well, you'll, you'll see when it's removed, when they're removed, you'll see, right? 2020, what we've been seeing to me is, is just a lead up to... This is just a dress rehearsal to bigger things that are going to happen. And let me just look at this as well. The desire to cause fear in a populace. A fear, right? And a lot, even a lot of Christians the last few months watching a lot of TV, they're in fear. Does God want us to live like that? No, he doesn't. Again, are we more influenced by the word and prayer or by the TV? Fear. And then the next stage is uncertainty. Well, when you're uncertain... You know, you, you start to lose your foundation. So fear to uncertainty. The next stage is to divide. I believe we're in that stage. Divide the populace, right? Some, again, peaceful protests against police brutality and, and these horrible things that have happened. I'm, I support that. However, there are those that are infiltrating that and causing racial hatred. Now, here's the thing. I can't change the color of my skin. African-American people can't change the color of their skin. So what better way to divide a populace by things that are visual and are th things that we can't change? And I, I'm seeing a lot of really awesome things on social media about people coming together. I love that. That makes me smile because there are a lot of good people. But if you turn on the TV and you watch the news, all you see is... And then what happens is we start to think, how am I supposed to feel about this situation? as a white person, how am I supposed to feel about a black person? Well, I don't feel any differently because I know where my grounding rod is. But they are trying to change the minds and opinions of people who are a little weaker in that area. And then people go outside and they, they don't know what to do. Uncertainty, division. Division leads to weakening a populace. And once that happens, then comes control. A lot of history is not taught anymore, but if you go into the Castro brothers and Che Guevara and the Cuban Revolution, you see these stages. When you look at the Mao uh, communist takeover of, of China, and we're talking um, 100 million murdered just through communist takeovers. That's sick. That's a, that's a lot of people to line up. The numbers are unfathomable, but nobody disputes those figures. Um, you saw it in the purges in Russia, you know, and it's been all around the world. And, and these sick people want this stuff to come here. And they're very open about it. Like I said, I'm just going to, at times, I'm going to play, the, play them by their own words. I don't have to say I think or I'm, I'm just going to, you let you hear the quotes. So this is what's happening. Why was the horse fiery red? Well, that color resembles blood, right? This fiery red horse, blood, fire. 
Revelation 12, Satan is described as the fiery red dragon. That's another descriptor using that word. And the lake of fire. It conveys terror, and it should. And folks, I never do this. I'm not, you know, if you're listening or watching for the first time, I'm, I'm not a fire and brimstone teacher. I don't come up here. I don't take any pleasure in talking about judgment or hell or any. I don't. Um, I have to pray because it's a hard thing for me to muster and get out. But I'm going to tell you that in this situation, if you don't know the Lord, I hope that this keeps you up at night. Some of you are going to say, Pastor Joe, that's mean. Follow me for a minute. When I was a young man in my 20s and I was fearless and I was into a lot of things, um, not, not much moved me, but when I would come across this stuff, it would keep me up at night. And the good news about that was, because I was too stubborn to be drawn by the grace of God, I had to see this and say, wow, that's scary. And, you know, and then eventually I went up at an altar call, so it was a little bit of judgment and, and grace. That mixture brought me to the cross. And if, it, that, if that does it to you, then this is a good thing. You can't avoid this. And I can't preach it any differently than I'm preaching it. It is what it is. So this, this color, this description of this horse conveys terror, terror. Now, I don't fear death, but for those that are making this world their everything and don't know the Lord, this is terrifying, and it should be. You know, it's one of those things where God says, it's like a parent to a child. You know, you discipline the child um, because they, they're lighting fires in the house and they get disciplined and they, they're scared about that. And it, there's a little rift between the parent, but the kid doesn't know that the alternative is if the house burns down and you die from smoke inhalation, that's not, I've seen that, right? I've seen that on the job. It's a terrifying thing. So in, in a sense, God is warning us beforehand. Not, nobody has to go through this. He would prefer that everybody would just be saved and the rapture comes and nobody left. Oh, well, let's go to the millennial kingdom. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to do anything anymore. And that would be wonderful. That's God's heart because that's what I read in scripture. And we are stubborn as human beings. And we don't always get it the first 10 or 100 times. This corresponds to Matthew 24, 6, when Jesus says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. That word rumors also means reports in various places. So you could almost see... Um, the United States being involved with some type of conflagration that, that takes place. And then your friend goes to you, hey, did you hear in Kashmir, the Pakistanis and the Indians are fighting again? Hey, did you hear that China invaded Hong Kong because they don't like their independence? Hey, did you hear? So it's not, it's not a rumor, like a false rumor. It's a report of wars everywhere. All the stopgaps have been pulled out. And this is all happening at the same time. I mean, this is interesting when you see a movie of this, but it's not cool if you're living through it, right? How do we counteract that? <laughs> I have to put something encouraging in here is sowing peace. Now, in our culture, especially with everything that's going on, it actually is not hard as a Christian to sow some peace because people are uncertain. They are afraid. They, are, they don't know how to act. They don't know what to say, um, and that's, that's a tragic thing. But as Christians, we could sow peace, at least while peace is still a possibility on the planet, and, right? Your countenance, your demeanor, your love for a neighbor. And I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, I, I talk to my neighbors a lot, I pray for them, and uh, just people in general. And just that calming uh, attitude does move people. It really does. It gets them to think. Maybe I want some of that because I'm terrified every time. Stop watching the television. I say the first thing is turn off your TV. You know what I'm saying? So five through six is when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of, of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So three out of four is the black horse. This is famine and inflation. And if you look at this in chronological order, it makes sense. Everything follows the other thing. Every horse 
with its rider, there's, a, there's an era of this horse and the rider, and then it gives way to the next one. So in other words, the false Messiah figure who is going to trick the world into thinking he's going to make a worldwide peace, which we all would love to see. And then he's going to, it's all going to let loose, the wars, the, all, all the skirmishes all around. And when that happens, what happens? It leads to famine and inflation. How does that happen, Pastor Joe? Well, I did study economics in college, so it is a simple supply and demand and all that kind of thing. So these scales, and you see, if you've ever seen the painting, right, the, the rider holds, you know, it's these old balance scales. And what they would do is they would put a known weight on one side, and when they were, you know, the villages, the markets, when they were going to give you your... Um, pound of wheat or whatever it was, they would put the bucket in there and they would, they would pour it and pour it until that known weight now started to come up and was equal. And then, ha- thank you, sir. Give me your denarius. Have a nice day. Here's the issue. The issue is that war everywhere, right, causes a scarcity of food. And we'll talk about that, which causes a price increase. It's simple uh, supply and demand. When the supply has dropped substantially, right, and the demand goes up, the price increases. There's a, there's a graph for this, okay? Um, more people have a demand, and your product is worth a lot more, and the market price increases. It's, economics is fascinating. Um, I actually took a course called, I still remember this from college, almost 30 years ago, Marxian Economics. Fascinating. I bet they don't have that at Rutgers anymore. Um, because it gets too many people to think about these alternate systems that people want to put in place of our system. And it's, it's depressing. It was a very depressing course. The teacher was awesome, though. So he says, a quart of wheat for a denarius or a day's wage, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, this was extremely un- and unusually expensive. You had a lot of things that you could purchase back then. But if your day- day's w- wage only got you... A quart of wheat. That was terrible. So you can't buy clothes. You can't buy anything because you're spending all of your money trying to feed your family. And people, people read the scripture and they go, oh, the scripture, it's nice. It's what you believe. But when you actually start to study, you say, wow, there's so much in here. Well, we're talking about economics, right, on Sunday morning. And we'll, we'll get more into it because in addition to the interruption in the supply chain of food, right, the nitrogen products, today we still use it. Nitrogen products, there's only so much nitrogen you can harvest. Nitrogen is either used for fertilizer, which grows crops. What else is it used for? Gunpowder. It's used for munitions. So in a time of war, and folks, look at your World War II history. In the United States, a lot of things were scarce. Because our whole factories turned into tank-producing and plane-producing factories. And ammunition by the millions. And in other countries, it was worse. So there was a a food shortage. Because all that nitrogen, those nitrogen-based products, including today, we've refined gunpowder, so it's not as smoky and inefficient. But it's, it's based on nitrogen. So it's either food or ammunition. Well, country wants to win a war, don't they? And they'll say that. We, we have to win the war for everybody to live good again. So some people are going to starve in the interim. In addition, the who, and I don't mean the old band. I'm dating myself. Roger Daltrey, okay? The who, the World Health Organization reported. Now, this was an article that came out about two or three weeks ago. I should have found it and copied it for you, but you can just uh, search engine it and find it. They predict because of the COVID lockdowns, unemployment, supply chain interruptions, the WHO is predicting a severe, not United States, but world famine, world famine, because everything was halted. The markets were changed. The, the food markets, the, the, whether it's meat or uh, grain or whatever the case may be, everything and is going to cause not only a shortage, but some people, poor people, won't be able to afford it. I'm telling you, the chess pieces are on the board, folks. Twelve years ago when I taught this, some people might say, he's, he's a little on the fringe there. Whoa, now all you got to do is look at world events. The Bible is always right, and it predicted all of these things, and now we're seeing all of it. 
We're seeing all of the horses. They're not out of the stable yet, but we're starting to see this situation with the horse and the riders. Pestilence, they speak about. Disease, pests. In World War II, when you interrupt the animal's ecosystem, and God designs everything so balanced and fine-tuned, whether it be vegetation, the oceans, you know, um, that's why pollution is, is terrible and it's, it's wicked. You know, we're supposed to, God wanted us to tend the earth, not to ruin it. But with war, when war raged across Europe, and the sides, the, the west, went to the east, and the east started to win, and they went westward after the Battle of Stalingrad, there was a severe rabies ec- epidemic in Europe because of the disruption of the ecosystem. So how God set everything up for things to naturally abate and not become this worldwide um, you know, pandemic, um, the same thing is going to happen. Now, it's interesting with coronavirus, folks, and this is why I say from this pulpit, I don't, I'm not afraid, and I, you shouldn't be living in fear because, trust me, this fall, we're going to hear it again. We're going to hear of another strain. China actually recently reported another virus that could become something. This was recently. So, I mean, we could live in terror or we could just say, you know what? My life is in the Lord's hands. Take precautions, but not wig out about this stuff. And this fear-mongering is done purposefully, purposefully. The stages I told you about. We have to move away from our sovereignty, according to the world system, and into this globalist move. Even Brexit. How many years did it take for Brexit to take place? And they're still not fully out. And that might reverse itself. Trust me, the globalist hand is very powerful. And things in this country have to be weakened before we can go on board with this system. And again, I'm just going to read the words of the billionaires uh, as we go further into this. And you'll see, I'm making this stuff up. So pestilence, disease, pests, the rise of these things that are going to take place. But he says, don't hurt the oil and the wine. Now, that's very interesting because the common person... It wasn't like the United States, you know. Uh, we have a middle class, which is probably shrinking at this point. In a lot of these nations, there was the, the wealthy, the elites, and everybody else who barely made it. So understand when this was written. The, the oil and the wine could only be um, really consumed by the wealthy. And don't kid yourself, the, the billionaires today... They have their own source of electric. It's not that hard to produce your own electric for your, your mansion. It really isn't. There's so many different things out there. They have their own food supply, armed security, and they will be insulated during this time. It's just, can I tell you something? People say, well, what about God? And, and again, I'm, I, God didn't email me and say, I need you to be my PR guy or my defense attorney, but I'm always going to defend his character because I've read the entire scripture. We live in largely a Gentile world. But in God's law for the Jews, there was not supposed to be poverty. God mandated in his laws, in Levitical law, that even a wealthy person had to leave a certain percentage of their crops to let those who were less fortunate take it for free. Otherwise, you were violating God's law. So we live in a world, why is there, there hunger? Honestly, if you ask me, the answer is we shouldn't. I saw a meme with a, a it's so funny, it was a young guy, and there, he's on a bench with Jesus and saying, why is there so many wars and hungers and in the world? And Jesus says to him, I was going to ask you the same question. I gave you, human beings, the ability to tend my creation. What have you done with it? So we all want to question God, right? Because we're questioning everything today, all forms of authority. However... He's going to hold humanity accountable for not taking care of his creation. Amen? Really, You've got to read it in the scripture, you know? There are things we, we're supposed to be doing as a culture and we're not doing. So that's what you have here. Um, I, I find it interesting, you know, in these movements, and they're well-meaning. And, and I agree with them, right? And we should, everybody should be fed in the world. I absolutely agree with that. And the world can feed everybody. But people are in the way. Leaders are in the way. Um, all these movements for income inequality and making the rich pay their fair share will have absolutely no effect, I hate to tell you, on these wealthy billionaires. It will not affect them. They're nice, they're well-meaning, and it just is for us down here. It isn't for them because they're, they've insulated themselves. Um, same thing with the war on poverty. We've been fighting the war on poverty for decades. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be trying. We should be trying. 
And as a church, and if you look at the, the church in America, there's a lot of churches, including ours, that are working overtime to feed people in the community. We're doing our part. But what are the politicians doing? You know that there are politicians that make a fortune, millions of dollars off the war on poverty. They're the spokesperson. They're the, you know, Department of, you know, Agricultural spokesperson. They're the the inner city uh, council. What are they doing when their people have been starving for decades and they're, they're lining their pockets? It's the corruption of mankind. Folks, this isn't a Republican and Democrat thing. This cuts across both sides of the aisle. Just want to make sure we understand that. So, um, yeah, they're going to be fine. And again, it's not God's will. It's just, you know, Jesus said something that almost seemed callous. You got you to listen to Jesus' words. He says to the disciples, the poor you will always have with you. Well, that's an awful thing coming from the Son of God. What Jesus was saying is because of the way mankind is and the sin of mankind and the the creation cursed by sin that goes all the way back to Genesis, mankind has no real desire to, to stop the war on poverty. Like I said, we're doing our part here. I do it outside of the church. I do my part. I never turn anybody away. The church never turns anybody away. But we don't have much power in this society, do we, right? Billions and billions and trillions of dollars over the years just moving hand to hand to hand to hand, and it doesn't always trickle down to the people who need it. Matthew 24, 7, there's a parallel. Jesus speaks about famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And again, how do we counteract this, right? Is that people who have nothing, we share with them. We should share with them. So that's that's a simple one. The Bible is very clear. You know, if you are hungry, feed the person. If they have clothes, they, they don't have clothes, clothe them. In James, it says, you know, what, what's, what good is your faith? If you say, be warm and well-fed, you see somebody suffering and you just, it, it doesn't move you. And unfortunately, there are people in the church, aggregately, who don't have that compassion. And that's really, really sad. Really, really sad. Verse 7, continuing on, the last two. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I got the five sign and power was given to them, not him, over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and hunger and death and by the beasts of the field. So four out of four is the pale horse. That word is an interesting pale horse. What is a a pale horse? The word in Greek is chloros, which means a green or a verdant color. It's just a very sickly horse or sickly looking. So as the red horse evoked terror, the pale horse was, I think, horrible to look at. It was a, a disturbing picture. And you had the... The riders on the horse, death and Hades followed with him. We're going to talk about that. So why does Hades follow death? Death takes the body and Hades takes the soul. People think, I don't have to believe in God. And when I die, eh, I just cease to exist. Oh, I hope you do your research on that. Because, you know... (laughs) Death is a reality to all of us. We're not guaranteed another day. And again, remember Jesus is speaking to those in his time period, and Hades takes the soul. The body dies. The rich man and Lazarus, there was a really good um, kind of video that I showed that was done on it. And you could see, and he, and he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't in Hades. He wasn't in torment because he was rich. You can't read what the culture is saying into the scripture. He was there because he, had, he couldn't care less about people outside of his thing that was starving, and he had no compassion, and he had no need for the Lord. So you see, it's a very cool video. I'll probably show it again. You see all the brothers, and he's laid out the body, and they're doing a eulogy, and he's probably in heaven and saying great things about the guy, and then you see where he really is. He's in a place of torment and crying out, and he can't get to where Abraham is. 
Um, he can't get to where Lazarus is. People fool themselves every day. We do research on the dumbest things sometimes, and we neglect what happens to us when we die, right? This is the stuff of horror movies, folks. And I've seen some horror movies that have portrayed this years ago, and some of them did a really good job. But it will be a reality on planet Earth. It's not going to be a movie. We're not going to be able to escape it. They were given power over 25% of the Earth to kill with sword or war, hunger, death, and beasts. You ever see? <laughs> it is just kind of funny. People say, hey, you ever notice how many videos of animals attacking people? You know, like birds attacking people, and so one of a bunch of dogs, like just tearing this guy's car apart, you know, the rubber bumpers and stuff. And, you know, we're seeing more of like animals that go, you know, they kind of go bonkers and just attack humans for no reason. Maybe the beasts, in, you know, in our arrogance, we think, well, they're just beasts. Maybe they innately know that it's the human's fault that their ecosystems are being ruined. It's just a thought, it's not scripture. So, uh, so animals gone wild. You can find all of that stuff. So I, I just want to give a little levity here. I wanted to present the, the horse of peace. I hope you guys have a sense of humor. He's the horse of peace, and I'm trying to work with him, but he's really not kind of going along with the program. So if you want to show that, and then I'll, I'll close it. I actually didn't plan this. I didn't ask him to act very relaxed. He's just doing it on, on his own. <laughs> so there's a lot that God says about peace. And... I know for me, before I was a Christian, I would worry about a lot of things. And when I became a Christian, I started learning. It didn't happen overnight. I started learning to give it to him. <laughs> he, I don't know if he knows he's being, he's on video, but he's quite the ham. But he could tell he's a very happy horse, very happy horse. Oh, boy, I need a script in front of me. I need a teleprompter because he keeps distracting me. But the bottom line is he's at peace and I'm at peace because I have the living God. When I lay down at night and I put my head on the pillow, I can relax. And listen, I'm not bragging. You can have that too. Anyone can have that. Really, peace is also an exercise. We have to exercise that trust in him, which brings us peace. So I hope uh, Batman and I entertained you for this morning or this afternoon. And um, I'll pray for your peace. Have a great day, Pastor Joe and Batman. Goodbye. <laughs> okay, that's not in the scripture. <laughs> just, let's just make sure we understand that. He's uh, one of our rescues, and he's, people say, is he, are they dead? They're, I didn't think horses laid down. Yeah, they do lay down. So he was just enjoying himself. All right, there is no horse of peace. Um, what we, <laughs> we have to focus on the Prince of Peace. So let me end this with... Uh, this is a world, sadly, that has rejected the Prince of Peace. And God gave us the ability, all the way back to Genesis, to follow him and choose him or to reject him. You know, he loved us so much, he didn't force us to love him. Um, but when you look at the children of Israel, God wanted to directly govern them. And they chose Saul. They rejected God. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And um, they kind of got a crummy king. And they suffered for it. In Rome, the Romans found a, a murderer and an insurrectionist and a robber and a career criminal named Barabbas. And the Romans, at the, at the feast, were going to release one person who was arrested. And they said, do you want me to release Barabbas, let him go, all the things he did? Or should I release Jesus, right? Who do you want to be crucified? And they basically chose Barabbas over Jesus. And the world is doing the same thing. You, you know, the world, our world, our intellectual world has chosen Darwin over Christ. And it's a foolish choice. I've been reading Origin of the Species and I have his book, Descent of Man. You want to talk about racism. First of all, he created the construct of race. And according to the Bible, we're all of one human family. And basically, he said that every species, whether it's plant or animal or humans, we have to fight with each other to see who's going to be dominant and survive because we're all fighting for survival. You start brainwashing people with this. I'm wondering in this cancel culture when Darwin's going to be canceled because I'm going to bring some quotes in here that he called anyone who wasn't white savages. That's really offensive. And they still use this in academia. 
you know, some of the things he said, he actually talked about white supremacy. He said that the uh, white race would, is more intelligent and would conquer over the other races. But academia still uses this guy. So we talk about race, we talk about division, we put it in everybody's face, and then we wonder why people are fighting over race. Right? Christians, we don't, right? We, we don't, we shouldn't be. So this is, this is where we are. Are they going to have the intellectual honesty to cancel Darwin? Read some of that stuff out loud. That's really offensive to me personally. So just saying that, again, when I was young, this kind of stuff kept me awake at night. But it was a good thing because it brought me closer to the foot of the cross. And I'm going to tell you this. If you are not sold, but you find this disturbing, alarming, eye-opening, eventually God's going to cause you to choose a side. This world is a sinking ship. And in some ways, I know I joked about it, are we going to go back to a booming economy and people are getting along and stuff like that? I don't know. Or maybe did these events tear the facade off of, oh, everybody's getting along and everyone's doing well in the economy. A lot of people aren't. But this is humanity. You find me any country, and people have tried to do this. They started utopias in these remote islands, and they turned out to be disasters. When you put a bunch of sinners together, this is the results, folks. So this is going to be a reality. Time is short. This is coming. And the only way to escape it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.